Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll and on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Brian Courtney. Welcome to part two of, I don't know what the fuck we're going to call it, but it's part two of indictments of power in the media uh darren is sitting over there reading his list something like that mother father it all depends on the size of the gat um you've been watching that fucking stupid (laughs) hip-hop show too much lately (laughs) so um just real quick one of our uh regular listeners reito de carreo um, sent a message regarding the UFO episode and was rather upset that we never talked about Project Bluebeam, which I just want to let him know that, well, we're probably never going to talk about shit like that unless we have an entire episode dedicated to whack jobs that come up with shit while they're masturbating playing World of Warcraft. Um, Do you have something against uh, alien antichrist speaking <laughs> us from speaking to us from the uh, ISO the isosphere or whatever? What's the <laughs> the place where they have the, well, not just alien antichrists, but alien antichrists that were installed by the UN and NASA. Well, because the UN and NASA are big power brokers in this world. Right. Yeah. Um, so we love you, brother. We appreciate you listening. That was Project Bluebeam. If if at some point in time in you really want to come on and and we'll do an interview and you can tell us about that and any other number of uh, wonderful uh, ways in which our minds and existence is being controlled, uh, unbeknownst to us. Yes, but we just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge our listeners, especially our regular listeners. You're the king, bro. Who actually fucking send messages from time to time. You're the king. Um... All right, so let's move on to whatever the fuck we were talking about. In what the else last do you episode. have on your list? You said you got a ton when we were cutting. No, out. no, 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 not a ton, just some more. Um, so, I I wanted to talk about Dave because I like Dave. Dave is another one of those. You know, it's kind of a cheesy comedy. Uh, it's very liberal, feel goody. But, you know, it's got Charles Grodin in it. Charles Grodin is a guy who helps people find jobs. Um, I remember him from, like, uh, old Chevy Chase movies and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. He was in, was it, not Foul Play. Just but like just like old old friends or something like that? Old times. Good times. Old times. Old times. Just um, like old Chevy Chase times. and Goldie Hawn. Good movie. Uh, funny. Well, I don't know. I, I still kind of laugh at it, but anyway, so Groden, is she married? Is she married to Groden in that movie? The old times? Yes. 
Yeah, but Chevy Chase was her ex-husband. That's right. And she ends up finding him in the forest at the end. Yeah, and they end up getting I'm back together. I'm sorry if I ruined it for anybody. It was only like made in 1978 or some stupid shit like that. So, um, Kevin Klein played Dave. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was in it. She played the president's wife. Yeah, those are the ones that I remember. I can't remember the guy that played the the Secret Service guy. He's he's pretty instrumental. He goes with Dave everywhere. Yeah, and the the guy that plays the press secretary, I think it's the press secretary. He ends up being the chief of staff in Veep, which is another show that I want to talk about. And someone else that we've already spoken about, uh, Laura Linney, was actually the uh, secretary. secretary. Yeah, who was banging uh, the evil Kevin Klein character, Bill Mitchell, uh, and has a stroke because apparently Laura Laura Linney really knows how to. In that movie, she's got some skills. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ben Kingsley's the vice president in it. Sir Ben. What a way to go. I think if I died, that would be the best way to go. Ving Ramos is the guy that played uh, Isn't the secret. Ving, Ving Rames? Rames. Like, I, I don't know how it's supposed to be. I, he's Marcellus Wallace. He is. Well, and can you tell me what Marcellus Wallace, Wallace looks like? What? Say what again, motherfucker? Say what again? What? <laughs> what ain't any country I ever heard of? What? So, Dave, uh, for those of you that do not know, um, Darren kind of gave a little bit of it away. So... Kevin Klein is banging Laura Linney. He has a stroke. The chief of staff, and like I said, I think it's the press secretary, but it might not be. Uh, they decide that the best thing to do is to wheel him down to basically this bunker in the bottom of the White House and keep them there hooked up to an IV and, you know, some other medical machines. And they're going to find a lookalike because they're going to control that lookalike and push policy that they would like to see passed. Because this guy's got it in his head, the chief of staff, that he's going to be the next president. Bob, Bob Alexander is the chief of staff's name in the film. Yeah. Played by Frank Langella. Langella? I'd go with Jella, but it could be Gella. Frank Langello Biafra. Uh, Carry on, my good man. So they find Kevin Klein to play Kevin Klein. <laughs> it's amazing how things work like that sometimes. And he is just completely baffled by the way things are done in government. Like, his Sigourney Weaver, who is the guy in the bunker's wife, but... Ellen Mitchell. She is... She doesn't know yet that he's dead. 
And how did he figure? How did she figure out that it wasn't him? Because he wanted to fuck her. It, it was. There's actually a scene before that, and she acknowledges that that's when. But the kid scene, the magic scene, when he's taking a shower and she sees his dick. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> they don't say it, say it, but they definitely say it. But he's completely baffled, and they're trying to get this. Was it a woman's, like a battered woman's shelter or a kid's shelter? It was or it was something. It was, it was orphans and, and bat. Yeah, it was, it was people that just, I mean, really poor people. Most of it were kids. Some of them were battered women. But the primary focus was on the children that didn't have anywhere to go, orphans. And the chief of staff said, no, there's no money in the budget. If you can find X number of dollars, I think it was like $10 million or whatever. It was then, not a ton of money. Then you can have it. And he started looking over the budget, and he's like... I don't understand how you guys do your books. This makes no sense to me. He, and so he calls this big meeting, and he brings everybody from the cabinet in, and he's like, okay, so you guys over here, you're telling me that, you know, for the last six quarters, they haven't produced what they were supposed to, but we continue to pay them. They were like, yeah, that's just the way things are done. And he goes, well, no, not anymore. We're not going to pay them until they deliver. And then this guy over here was like, oh, well, we're paying so many millions of dollars to get people that bought an American car to like their American feel good, car. Yeah, feel good about the purchase. And he said, well, we're not going to do that anymore. So, so he what finds you're telling money. me is that you're trying to pay to get people to feel good about an investment that they've already made right it's fucking kind of a funny it's a Dude, funny it's, it, it the whole thing is hysterical i i mean because that's the way they really do it he yeah like in the last umpteen years that that the, every time the pentagon that they've done a audit six times they've they failed the audit but that's because 80 percent of the money they don't know where the fuck it's going so yeah, of course it's brilliant because you sit everybody down, you got their line item positions. You're like, you guys are paying seven million dollars for a pen. I don't think that we need to pay seven million dollars for a pen. Right. It's good. It, it and it exposes it. It brings it above board. Well, and they can you know move that money around. So he starts to do this good stuff, and Bob Alexander gets pissed because he's you know military industrial complex. He's extremely conservative. He's we're building a wall type guy. I don't think he ever said we're building a wall, but that's kind of what I picture him saying if he were running for president. Um, and they thought they could control Dave, that they could keep him doing. He was like their uh, marionette. Yeah. 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 And that didn't work out for him. Uh, so he ended up firing Bob Alexander. And... The reason I mentioned that movie is because, well, one, if they figured out what they had done with the real president, they would have gone to jail. Um, the, but it's just, again, to illustrate that once you achieve certain heights then you can move all kinds of people around to get things fixed and you know make this go away and make that hide and and do all of that kind of stuff well and they were this 
there was a there was a looming indictment on the existing president, right? And uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Sir Ben Kingsley. Who, he he's the vice president. He's a vice president that, uh, for all intents and purposes, is more like sort of like an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders kind of political character. Um, they keep him on some African uh, PR thing where he's going to all these countries and getting stupid fucking presents from all these different people. And uh, they decide to push the... So, like, because Bill's about to get indicted for all this campaign finance stuff, and they push it in the direction of... What is this? The Nance, Vice President Nance. And uh, at the end... Again, spoiler alert, you know, this movie was only made 37 years ago or whatever. But it, it is, it, I mean, it's fully about indictments because he he stands up in front of Congress. He says, I'm sorry, Vice President Nance has never done anything like this. This is something that I did personally just with me and Bob Alexander. We're both the ones that did it. If anybody should go to jail for it, we should. And then he fakes a fucking other stroke, which is just wonderful. But again, it's like that's fantasy because you're right, there's this insulary place where people get away with everything, and the fantasy of Dave is they, you know, it's kind of like a fucking uh, Three Stooges kind of 1930s Mr. Smith goes to Washington kind of like resolution where uh, the truth comes out. You, you've done this line item thing where you've helped, you know, some orphan kids, and now you have Bernie Sanders in the fucking office, and the guy that was trying to be the big prick goes to jail. And Dave ends up going back to the employment agency and, and doing what? Helping people find jobs. He ran for office. Oh yeah, he ran for like state council. Yeah, state council or something. Council or something. Yeah, and Sigourney Weaver comes and uh, they become open with their relationship. At that yeah, point, she so. leans on the door jam yeah. and like shows her leg and <laughs> whatever. Um, and an alien pops out of her stomach and eats uh, Dave. There were there were some funny little parts, like they snuck out of the White House <laughs> and the cop pulled him over. Tomorrow, and tomorrow. They, they were pretending like they were lookalikes. Um, Which, you know, irony, right? Yeah. Those are fun ironies. Yeah. Um, you know, when we were just now talking about that, I kind of forgot about this movie, but it's another, like, cheesy cheesy movie but uh jack lemon and uh james fuck. he played in the rockford files um and he uh i can see him fuck anyway they my fellow americans there were some indictments rolling around in in that movie too uh and people were getting assassinated. James Garner. Yeah. And that is a totally cheesy comedy, but it's it's kind of funny. And it kind of shows that Democrats and Republicans are essentially the same because Jack Lemmon plays a Republican and James Garner plays a Democrat. They, they were rivals before this and then at the end of the movie they end up you know running together for president and, and vice president so that's not a horrible movie not one i was planning on talking about but and they they succeed i assume in their exposure of uh 
Dan Aykroyd, the sitting president? Well, so it wasn't actually, it turned out that it wasn't Dan Aykroyd that was the one doing all of the, the bad shit. It was the, it was Dan Aykroyd's VP that was doing John, it. John Hurd. Okay. Yeah. Was Wilford Brimley a good guy or a bad guy? He was a CIA guy who was definitely helping the presidents. So I guess he was good. Uh, I, I hate him as a bad guy. Like in the fucking firm, another wonderful lawyerly movie. He's like the guy that fucks everybody up. I mean, I think that he should just put his head through a fucking thing, a bucket of oatmeal and just shut the fuck up. I can't take you seriously, Wilford Brimley. I just can't. <laughs> he gets his ass kicked by Tom Cruise in that movie. Through a bucket of oatmeal. <laughs> and then he should go sell Liberty Mutual or whatever the fuck old people insurance he's You remember the, the, oat, the thing of oatmeal, the way that it was. It yeah. was like this weird circle. I knew what you meant. Quaker Oats. Yeah, in the, that's right. Like the tub. Yeah. You children, you don't. I mean, not that anybody listens. Well, there's the Filipino. You can still get Quaker Oats in the tub, can't you? I don't know. I Like, I go get, because Jeannie gets, like, these weird, uh, it's the King Supers brand oatmeal with dinosaurs in it. It's the only thing in the world that she likes when it comes. Well, that's not true. She eats oatmeal pretty regularly, but uh, she loves the fucking dinosaurs. I've never seen those old fucking circle of Quaker Oat things, ever. Not in years, dude. So when my blood pressure went through the roof few years ago i started buying oatmeal and i was buying it in the tubs because i didn't want all the added sugar and salt and all of the shit that comes in the little packets um his oatmeal is just fiber right yeah so it just, it just makes you shit better did that help your uh well it's i mean it's oats so it's got some other good shit in it. I don't know what it is, but no, it didn't. It helped me shit, but it didn't do anything for my blood pressure that I know of. I'm very happy to hear that at the very least. It, it, yeah. it made you regular. So. That's right. Because you're very irregular. I'm regular with high blood pressure. Um, so, yeah. Fuck you, Wilford Brimley, and your tub of oats. Um, all right. What What... What was the documentary that you wanted to talk about that was the Trump thing? Well, I don't want to, like, get... So part of the reason why I wanted to get, get into this is because you take the current, the current like, uh, political environment. So I'll, let me say two things about the documentary first. So there is this uh, individual, right, who makes all of these films. Uh, he's like Trump's Lenny Riefenstahl. But Lenny Riefenstahl actually had a concept of film and art, which is like the tragedy. She never saw anything that she did as fascist that she did for Hitler, the Olympics one, or there's some other one. I watched them both. But uh, uh, this this guy, uh, where the fuck is his name at here? Uh, M. Night Shyamalan? Uh, Debbie DeSouza, right? So uh, he got in trouble for some party uh campaign finance thing um and uh trump decided to pardon him in 2018 and it's funny like in the movie they have this scene where the, this guy's it's clearly not trump but it's trump's voice on the other end of the line and he's like 
this uh, has I just want you to know that you're a great filmmaker and I want you to keep it up you're a true American you know um, I did this because you understand about freedom and liberty and blah 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 so like he makes this movie that comes out in 2020 called Trump Card he made a ton of fucking movies there's a, the 2000 Mules movie that I brought up when we were talking outside the one that was talking about uh the way that the uh, election was stolen, like where they'd be moving uh, uh, votes here and taking votes there and adding votes there, saying that this, these people were the dead people were voting or illegal aliens are voting or whatever. Uh, that film, that 2000 uh, Mules film, was uh, also written and directed by this uh, DeSalza guy, right? But I'd never watched, I don't generally, it's hard to stomach any of these propaganda films. Like, I don't care which side they come from. They just irritate the fuck out of me for the most part. Um, but I was like, you know, we're talking about indictments. This, you know, he's being indicted right now. Um, this is sort of like the uh, framework for the ideology. When I say ideology here, I mean ideologic ideology in like the loosest, non-philosophical kind of way. I mean ideology in the sense that it's the general structure of the belief system uh, of the people who are getting behind Trump. Uh, at this point in time, which is not really a very so more of an idiot, idiot, yeah, idiotology. I, I don't want to say that because I don't see this, and that's kind of why I was going to try to preface this stuff. Like Trump would not be in such a profound position of power against the state if it weren't for the fact that the Clintons didn't pay for the creation of the Steele dossier, which was demonstrably false at this point in time so much so that when robert Mueller went and functioned as a special counsel and everybody sat there waiting with breath that was baited and chris matthews was sitting there and of course uh what's her name uh rachel maddow every night she was like the fucking anti-fucking anti-republican devil fucking super fucking dnc i you know i i i love hillary clinton i love uh uh all those the one that they keep having in those uh, committees who's appointed from down in the Caribbean islands I can't even remember her name because I hate her so much I don't even I don't even think about her as a human being like they all love and and sort of like reek and developing these like if you went and looked on YouTube and watched any of the uh, uh, the various different documentaries that were constructed that basically tried to draw lines between Trump his money Russia and uh, Russia being able to coerce him into doing whatever it was uh, like he was a puppet for Russia. Like uh, I, I, I can't watch those pieces of propaganda any better than I can watch the Trump one. But Trump, because of his position and because of the way that the uh, uh, the the Democratic Party has functioned so haphazardly and and just totally ridiculously, they've created the the space for Trump and his sort of like variety of potential fascism to come to fruition. Like they, th this is not a. So like I was telling you earlier today, I had been listening to this thing that Janae had sent me, um, and it's uh, by this lady whose name is, I will get it for you in just a second. Oh, it's right there. Um, Ruth, uh, Ruth Ben-Ghia, and she's a historian, and she's a historian who talks about fascists, and she talks about these, uh, this thing called... Uh, strong strong men right and strong men are these people that are like Mussolini you know like where they 
they they bear all these properties like they're there's a lot of charisma charisma yeah but there's a, a a degree of vulnerability like she talked about how like uh when uh, um when Mussolini was coming into power somebody tried to kill him and uh he uh he lived through it you know but he has to go back to the hospital many times because there are conditions that have affected him from the the attempt on his life so he will go, he would go and like create these like uh stage moments where they would film him while he was inside the hospital and he'd be in the gowns and but he'd still be like this strong man but he'd be sort of like this vulnerable strong man and what she had sort of posited was that it was this uh, uh individual who's strong with the nation's strength but still vulnerable so like there's this weakness that you need to reinforce so that the it's like the make america great again bullshit well that's that's part of the the charisma thing but i mean what it does i think i i'm not positive but i think what it does is it makes the every person think fuck he's, he's just, just like, like, just like me. me yes that's ex that's exactly yeah it, but but just like me but just like me a step above me because this person is descendant from the gods you know or you know what because there's always religious components to it at the same time um and this desire to reconnect to the past so like she she, she talked about like i was telling you earlier like she talked about uh mussolini talked a lot about the roman empire franco talked a lot about the spanish when the spanish armadas were so strong um who else am i forgetting about um uh orban would be talking would be talking about um no, that's not or the 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 one from uh, Turkey would be talking about the Ottoman Empire. Uh, Putin talks a ton about Russia, so it's important to understand. Understand, I'm not calling everybody that I just talked about they're a fascist. Some of them were clearly fascists. Some of them were just more autocratic, authoritarian types of leaders. But there are tendencies inside of these spaces uh, where they bear certain properties that are similar. And what, like one of the most important ones, is they all believe in the rule of law but they suspend the law to reinstitute the law you know so like uh, the way that the, the january 6th thing and the way that it played out and to be perfectly clear if if i'm not even going to say if like un unless the democrats decide a, a radically different direction if they stick with biden and and uh, kamala uh trump will win this election i don't give a fuck what anybody thinks or says i certainly don't give a fuck what chris matthews says he's such a dipshit i listened to this fucking interview he did with them on breaking points and he continues to perpetrate this rhetorical disposition that suggests that biden is the one that can keep us out of trump now i just think that's fucking obnoxious but having said that one of the things that when i was listening to um this uh this giat lady um suggest um she talks about the rise of these autocrats or these fascist individuals as if they they come to power in isolation. And this is incredibly problematic. I mean, you're supposed to be a historian. Don't just pick out the properties that match, that, that, that could connect to these individuals throughout history in relation to them as individuals. Place them in a historical context because I am a hundred million, billion, infinite Googleplex sure that Trump would not have the power that he did right now if, say, for instance, they didn't create the Steele dossier, utilize the deep state and manipulate 
all these different intelligence agencies to try to neutralize Trump's ability to be president for the first two years that he was in power, if they'd have just let him stumble over his own fucking dick and sabotage him in some less overt ways, then the spaces that allow for the gaining of footholds that will lead to the next moment, which we should all be aware and concerned about, you know? And I don't care what, which one of them wins, but I do not like the thought of a crazy fascist winning. So back to the fucking Trump card movie, all right? In that fucking movie, at the end of it, so they go through all these different properties of, you know, they talk about um, the Roe v. Wade. They talk about uh, capitalism versus socialism because clearly Biden's a socialist. So I, it's a lot like our show. Yeah, yeah, it's just like us, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but they, go, they go through all the different, like, uh, talking points of why Democrats are evil. and But it's all policy positions in relation to that. They talk about the cake, you know forcing people to the the government dictating what it is that you have to do in your own creative space um and at the end of the movie they they do this really fucking hilarious thing right they invoke lincoln right everybody fucking invokes lincoln why the fuck does everybody invoke lincoln and they talk about how lincoln uh created this space where because and, and and he did do more things to suspend the Constitution than anybody else in in in, in the past. I mean, he was in the middle of a civil war. It was a complicated situation, um, right or wrong. It, in some instances, if a person wanted to suspend the Constitution and create a justification for it, invoking Lincoln would be uh, a way where you're tapping into people's rhetorical disposition in relation to patriotism as a way of doing something like that. And they pulled up this uh, executive order that he wrote, um, July 30th, uh, it was 1862 or something like that. And uh, it said, any Union soldier that is killed by a Confederate soldier, we're going to take that total number over the course of this time period, and we're going to execute one for every one of the Union soldiers that get killed. And I didn't see the entire executive order. And based on the way that this DeSalza guy, DeSouza, whatever the fuck his name is, um, uh, interpreted a lot of different things where he was sort of cherry-picking specific uh, details and not reading them in the con context of a complicated, uh, uh, historically grounded reading, um, I, I think it'd probably do some good to go back and look at that executive order if you happen to find it. Um, but they, they basically say after that, uh, Lincoln did what he did in that moment because the other side gave him no choice. So Trump is in the same boat. The Democrats are putting him in a space where he has no choice, so he's going to have to uh, create law and order by suspending law and order. That's sort of like what they're articulating in that moment. And in the aftermath of that moment, they make a reference to 1984 and they create some sort of an obnoxious straight line between 1984 and Democrats because they say uh, when Winston, I mean, when, uh, uh, why can't I remember the stupid dude's name? Uh, I'm Huxley, um, not that one, not Bradbury. Um, who wrote 1984, who wrote Armour? George Orwell. So, George, they, they basically suggest George Orwell wrote 1984 as a response to communism specifically and Orwell himself you can go listen to anything uh, he was talking about all political uh, uh, centralized political institutions tending towards the space it didn't you, you, it could just as easily happen under 
so-called democratic capitalism as it did uh, in, in the Stalin years. So, um, but they have this moment where uh, there's this person that's uh, the uh, actor acting on behalf of the state and Smith, Winston Smith is sitting in the, the chair. It's the one, room 101 thing. And they're standing over him saying, how many fingers do I have up? You know, the, the, the whole shit at the end of, uh, of the stupid, the stupid, well, I mean, it's fine, it's a fine book, but it's, I just hate the way that people uh, interpret it in certain ways to serve their own interests at specific moments in time. But he says, I am the state, the state dictates f the facts. I'm telling you that I have five fingers up. I don't want you to tell me that I have five fingers up. I want you to see five fingers, even though I, ha I have four up. And uh, again, like the, the thing that he posits in this moment is that this is the way that Democrats construct, construct reality and our savior, Donald Trump, is going to not, not do that to us. And the shit of it is, the Democrats have created a space because of their dishonesty in the way that they've really, you know, functioned functioned in elections, and function not in this last one. I'm not talking about Trump loss. We all know that, but we need to understand that there is blood on the hands of both political parties, and as long as the political parties keep acting the way they're acting, it's going to continue to give Trump the the fuel that he needs to justify some very dangerous acts in the future. And I don't know, like, everything that I watched in that, like, just huge piece of propaganda by this goofy guy, um, it just kept reminding me that uh, it's like the Democrats are loading the fucking gun for the fucking Republicans so that they can blow the Democratic head off the, the system. And that's why I watched that stupid, crazy, nasty piece of propaganda today. Well, I really like the way that you finished up that part. Fuck off, motherfucker. <laughs> you like, and that's why <laughs> I watched that well, piece dude, it's, of shit. It's hard, it's, hard, it's hard to stomach things like that. But but when you look at these, these different spaces, the ways that uh, uh, the, the, the DNC conspired to make sure that Bernie did not have any shot at, at uh, being the, the candidate, neither 2016 or 2020, um, and look, I get that this is for blood, but uh, if we don't live in a system that's honest and, and tries to no negotiate the concept of, you know, uh, civic life in a fair way where we are sort of at least kind of working together as opposed to like drawing lines and just creating enemies in every which way, like it's going to continue to perpetuate these i mean it's the rise of fascism is going to come because we created the rise of fascism it will be the global police state and that was the name of the book i couldn't remember earlier by william i robinson i i agree with those statements we've been allowing the global police state for quite a while so the executive order for a you're not talking about when he suspended habeas corpus. I, I don't know that that was the one. This one, the way that they made it look like, and again, I'd have to go back and find it. He, it I mean, he was. it sounded like the way it was read was an eye for an eye. Like, not just, we're going to take your ability to have a fair trial or have a, you know, a functioning judiciary. 
It could have been in that one. I I'll I'll do some more research for you guys. I I promise I will. I usually can find these things easier. Um, but I've got like January thirty first, eighteen sixty two, special war order. What did it say? Um, that's my birthday. I wasn't born then. Just in case anybody was curious. Uh, Not for another 114 years. After anyway. providing safely for the before, no, that's not it. Um, it we'll it doesn't it. matter. I'll we'll find I'll it. find it or or Darren will one or the other. Uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously, if you've listened to the show before, I think you guys have a pretty good idea that Darren and I think that we're we're fucked. Uh, in the the near future, and and definitely in the the future future. So, um, did you watch any other documentaries? Anything else that you want to talk about? I mean, because I know the other day you said you've got a few on your list. Well, I mean, I can just sort of go off on like the weird, like uh just the framing of the fascist thing i mean I, I i i when i googled indictment movies for some reason citizen kane came up and i i'm not sure why because nobody ever really gets indicted in it but i do think that uh like when i watched it again uh, there's an there's an odd sort of like a connection between the way that uh um they create the image of charles foster kane and like the concept of a, a fascist like he he like every time i kept seeing him act like as he became more and more like bigger than life and uh people sort of like followed him around and all that i mean he just reminded me of like a very trumpish kind of character and uh again like nobody gets indicted and of course uh i like it had been forever since i watched it but i forgot that he had run for governor uh, his rhetoric when he was running for governor was very similar to the populist rhetoric that he was, uh, Charles Foster King was talking about the everyman, you know, uh, and I'm going to fight for the everyman. Uh, so again, it's like this, this space where he becomes, uh, they're like father, you know, their, their paternal person that represents there, which is the same bullshit that, uh, when Trump was creating his, it's funny because, like, I, I remember looking looking back. There were those spaces, and somebody, I, some something I'd watched right afterwards. Trump uh, was taking directions from more uh, like traditional swampy kind of Republicans, and then he started to listen to Steve Bannon, who had all those ties to fucking Breitbart and all that. And uh, and again, I've said this in in this this podcast before many times, like. You don't have to like Steve Bannon, but you better goddamn listen to the arguments that he makes because he persuades a certain kind of people to go in a specific direction. The uh, um, consulting that he was doing when he was talking to Trump and helped him to shift his rhetoric away from we're going to cut taxes and blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that to like a normal like George Bush, you know, uh, the Mormon guy. Um, Met. Yeah, Mitt Romney, uh, McCain, although John McCain had some things that sort of deviated from that space, but he's still pretty traditional in a lot of respects. Um, he was, when he started to utilize that 
down the the campaign path, his numbers started to dip. And Bannon's like, no, you got to use this right wing populist shit. And I, you're the everyman. And uh, we're going to build the wall and make America great again and all that bullshit. And, and that group of people that was guiding, including Steve Bannon, they were the same people that were talking to uh, Orban and Modi and uh, um, the Brazil, um, Bolsonaro. And like we can we can sort of like imagine in the back of our head that it was just kind of a coincidence that all of these uh, everyman types of individuals came to the uh, came into power at a similar time. Uh, like it as a coincidence but i think that if you follow the money and you follow the people that were advising them and how to speak it, it, it's it really started to look like those charles foster kane individuals but they didn't lose governorships they won national elections and then started to fill in spaces down lower than that i mean bolsonaro's party power even after he lost the last election to lula uh, they still have judges everywhere they have governors everywhere they 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 occupy you know uh, positions all over those so even if they don't have absolute power in these moments they still have tons of strong and i don't know enough about those other countries to say for sure whether or not um why can i not remember the turkey turkeys it starts with e well we were talking about citizen kane the other night and you know obviously it's just fiction um, you know, maybe it's like primary colors and it's loosely based or modeled after. But if it is loosely based or modeled, I was trying to figure out whether it was George Hurst or William Randolph Hurst because, you know, George was poor and then he made money off of mining and then he started buying newspapers and shit and, you know, building this huge fucking corporation um buying politicians and all of that good stuff that comes with having what i'm guessing would be the equivalent of billions of dollars right now yeah um but if it was based on his son then that changes the the picture a little bit not saying that that william didn't still do shady shit but george probably should have been indicted and could have been like you know under some of the laws that we have under the the u.s code now where if your corporation is doing wrong and and you know about it and someone dies because of that then you can be you know prosecuted and if not to where you have like any sort of punitive sort of court date then at least you have like the the civil sort of court where they just sue your ass um but besides buying politicians, neither of the Hursts were in office. I don't, um, you know what? Maybe they were. I don't know. I can't remember. No, I, I really thought that I read something, Wells, that he had a bone to pick with the 
the other one. But I mean, like you said the other night, like if it's true, it doesn't follow the same because he didn't come from some little place in Colorado and the 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 son didn't come from some little place in Colorado. Right. Um, but I like you don't you know unless you want to get charged with libel, you gotta you gotta change some of the names to. And there's a there's a solid possibility that you know maybe they just took chunks of several rich people and and made um Kane It's hard to tell. You never know what a writer's motivation or is. Well so the, or, the the Xanadu thing though like in the like Olivia Newton-John? No, no, no. That was the name of their home, the home that uh um the Kane character uh Charles Foster Kane created and uh Hearst uh, created some La, La Cuesta Encantada, the Enchanted Hill, which is like a, a thinly, you know, and that was, but that was William Randolph Hearst. Um, I know that George Orwell didn't like their family. I mean, he was definitely taking a pot shot at him somehow or another, but I can't say for sure forever. I swore I read something once that said that uh, Orwell... was coming at uh, Hearst. Do you have any other uh, wonderful, wonderful? Yeah, I've got a, a couple. Um, so before I jump back into HBO shows, um, there was a movie, I think it was, I don't know, like 2016, something like that. It was called The Nice Guys. Mm -hmm. uh, it had... Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling, Kim Basinger. Uh, those are the the three main people that anybody would probably know or, or recognize. So Russell Crowe plays a cop. Gosling plays a, a private eye. Uh, Kim Basinger is the Attorney General. And at the beginning of the show or of the movie, this firebird is driving down this mountain and it drives through a house and ends up catching on fire and the girl inside is naked and she turns out to be a porn actress and so this investigation starts around this death of this girl called Misty Mountains and so she was the Misty Mountain hop yeah and she says to this kid when she's dying she says how do you like my car big boy and then like the opening credits start to roll well, Crow was hired to protect this one girl, and Gosling was looking for the girl. Uh, it, it turns out that the three auto manufacturers, the big three, 
were making catalytic converters or they didn't want to switch to catalytic converters even though it would save the environment so in california everybody's talking about birds dying and you know the the environment going bad and all of this stuff well they should have been prosecuted and they were assassinating these people who ended up making this porn movie that talked about the whole auto manufacturer corruption thing. So they were using porn as a vehicle. Yeah. That's and cool. uh, I watched that porn. Kim Basinger's daughter was involved with the movie. She wasn't in it, but that was the girl that Crow was supposed to be protecting and that Gosling was searching for. So fairly quickly in the movie crow and gosling end up teaming up together to find this girl and you know more people are dying and whatever well kim basinger actually says well you know without these three the economy crashes so we can't have that and it just the reason i mentioned it again nothing to do with the president the attorney general gets in trouble for doing what she did because there was a cover-up and, and all of this stuff. But just these halls that that we call justice are not necessarily halls of justice. They're halls of generating revenue for the right people halls of justice devoid of echo hello 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 so that's why i wanted to mention that one and so, that is a hysterical fucking movie or at least hysterical? i think it is oh it's hilarious dude i mean dude the porn actress's name was misty mountains what? um so somebody really did want to go for a misty mountain hop there is a lot of really funny shit in the movie what's it called again the nice guys the nice guys and I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix right now. So uh, I found something about Charles Foster Kane, right? So okay. I hate ever reading anything out of Wikipedia because I think Wikipedia is becoming a, a little bit too subjectively bullshit. But when it comes to a movie, it's pretty straightforward. Um, the quasi-biographical film examines the life and legacy of Charles Foster Kane, played by Wells, a composite character based on American media barons, William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer, Chicago tycoons William Insull and Harold McCormick, as well as aspects of the screenwriter's own lives. Upon its release, Hearst prohibited the film from being mentioned in his newspapers. That did a fat lot of good. I mean, like when you talk about like the history of American film, it's that that you know Casablanca. Those are the two of the films that always come up. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you know, Hearst did a lot of stuff. You know, he bought museums and, and helped people in California as a whole and probably nationwide to maybe help, I don't know, make his name shinier or, or make people not pay attention. And now, I mean... If you ask four people on the street, they probably have no fucking idea who George or William are. I wonder, because uh, um, sometimes when I see 
like there's a movie um i think i mentioned it in one of the previous episodes too called uh, the cradle will rock it was about uh the socialist like in in the wake of the 1930s there were all these uh, acting companies i remember money, you talking you know. about it um orson wells is one of the main characters because he helps to uh to produce the credible rock uh mo- the play which they never get to play because the funding gets pulled um so they have the one where they just do it sort of like impromptu inside of this theater which is really really kind of cool it's a cool scene but uh I think for all the shit that Orson Welles was giving Hearst and those types of people that are seeing themselves as bigger than life, kind of megalomaniacs, I think that, uh, ironically, Orson Welles might have been guilty of exactly what it was that he was accusing those people of. Yeah, I mean, well. I mean, he didn't have a media empire, but he, but he did have an empire to media, you know? So... So there was a movie, uh, How to Make Friends and Alienate People. <laughs> it had Simon Pegg and. Um, the, the, he's one of your favorites. He's a fucking douchebag. I he's like kind of funny. He's funny. Well, I definitely like Shaun of the Dead, but I like this movie too. And it's got, what's her name? Uh, she played Mary Jane in the the first couple of Spider Mans. Yeah, um, um, the redhead with the crooked. She's blind in real life with the crooked teeth. Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, she was in it, and also, yeah, uh, the, uh, the Big Lebowski. Um, Jeff. Anyway, so Bridges. Yeah. Simon Pegg runs... The real Big Lebowski. Right. Simon Pegg runs this basically gossip media magazine in London, I Where's think. Where's the money, Simon Pegg? Where's the money? And this huge, glossy magazine in New York calls him and says, Hey, you know, we want to give you a job. So he goes and gets the job, and he's always trying to take down these media people. Well, Jeff Bridges tells him in a meeting, he says, you know, just stop. He said, you were always thrashing these people because you were jealous of not being in the room with them. You're in the fucking room now, so just stop. And I think that that kind of is... I don't know what what they they all do. Maybe I don't think so, but maybe that's what we're doing. Is that once we get in the room, then we'll quit thrashing them. Maybe that's that's, what, that's what Bernie did. Yeah, There's no doubt about that. Well, that's what Pelosi did too. I mean, yeah, she was she was uh, AOC years before AOC was AOC. I mean, she was supposed to be the progressive fire that was going to change the fucking course of fucking policy well and she was incredibly outspoken about the whole bush administration and then all of a sudden she got a speaker job and she quit fucking speaking and her husband fucking is a big stock fucking portfolio guy and uh, there have been many efforts to try to while she was speaker of the house there were many efforts to try to 
for closing the position to where when you're in a public position like that, you would have to divest yourself or at the very least put your uh, stock position into a, what do you call it, a trustee ship? It's not a trustee ship, it's something like that. Um, to where you can't do anything with it. Right. You can't buy any more fucking stock and you can't fucking trade on your fucking name. And you definitely can't sell the stock. And, and uh, strangely enough, because Republicans are just as guilty of it as Democrats because they're all ostensibly the same thing. And AOC has become the biggest sellout in the history of the fucking universe now. I wonder what her stock profile is starting to look like. I'd be curious to know. But uh, uh, it, you, you, she's going to do that slow. You know, she's got she's to do some things, pay some things off before she can, because she talked a lot of shit. But either way, um, Pelosi, yeah, uh, she's, she's a straight up fucking capital apologist bitch now. So they all do it, and do. I, I don't think that I would do that, but maybe, you know, once they invite me to the room... You get killed. And that, that's probably... You capitulate or you die. I mean, that's what sucks about the system that we live in right now. Like, the best thing that you can do is to not try to get into the room, you know, to try to find a voice outside of the room. But even then, you know, there are all kinds of other ways that these spaces can foreclose on you or I. Where they just drop another house on top of the room you're in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got gotcha. Or send cops in to, you know, to defend themselves and unload uh, 16 fucking magazines. On a no-knock warrant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've got I've got two more shows. Right. Both of them are HBO. Okay. What do you got? The only other thing that I would have... I, I mean, I watched the, the third season of Newsroom again, only because the concept of... Uh, um, uh, Neil gains access to 26,000 documents uh, that uh, come from a whistleblower. Uh, Neil doesn't understand the ins and outs of legal positions because he's not a fucking lawyer and because he hasn't been inside of the mainstream uh, legal media environment to understand that when a person gives you things, you cannot ask for more. If you ask for more at that point in time, you are uh, facilitating the uh, the act of a felony in that moment. So, uh, Will dicks around Jeff Daniels' character uh, and puts it to where Neil is safely out of the picture and he's the one that can get charged for it. Um, and they end up giving him contempt, contempt of court. Now, again, um, nobody gets indicted, but the only reason why uh, a person doesn't get indicted is because the person who was the whistleblower uh, blew her head off on the state on the steps of the uh, the DOJ, and uh, it didn't matter anymore whether or not Will gave up the information because they had already figured out that she was she was the one. Um, but uh, uh, any opportunity that I can sit here and talk about how when people are whistleblowers, particularly you know like we've talked about Snowden and nauseum as nauseum um, in the last uh, month or so. Australia contacted the United States and said that they want the United States to stop pursuing the extradition of Assange to uh, to the United States so that he can be charged with the Espionage Act. Uh, the United States has refused to do this. Um, I will at any point always bring this up because I I want I want him to be let out. I want a lot of people to be let out. I want Leonard Peltier to be let out. Anybody that's a political prisoner, but. 
when you're talking about indicting a person for espionage when that person is not even a citizen of the country that they're committing espionage against i mean it 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 circle it circles it encircles all of the contradictions that i'm interested in because it demonstrates that the nation state is not what it was we have an, a, a a structure that transcends that position now uh, there is absolutely no way under the sun they're ever going to fucking concede to anybody's position with regards to Assange unless the U.S. gets so fucking embarrassed that they're forced to do it. So I talk about the newsroom one because it gives me an excuse to talk shit about that because I want Assange out of jail. So Well, and the newsroom is a good fucking show. I mean, there's there's lots of stuff in there that they point out things that are wrong with the system um it's it's a great show when it captures the kodak moment where we're shifting from print to digital you know like in a very unique way and it makes it posits some things that it's wrong about but it definitely was bringing them up at a time where we didn't really understand what the last at the, at the end of the, that season when uh uh douchebag producer who came in with uh with Will's wife to be um, the one that is Maggie and him got this romantic thing going on, but they keep not going down that road. Um, he's talking to his girlfriend before this shit happens finally between him and Maggie. Um, I don't know why I can't remember the guy's fucking name, but uh, his girlfriend at the time takes a job with a, a media company called Carnivore. Yeah. And they're talk he talks to um her about how if you take this job and you get paid forty five thousand dollars a year, but you get bonuses if a million people click on a story that you write, then it's not about news anymore. It's about shock value. And that was something that I think um I wasn't nearly as aware of that in, you know, twenty twelve or twenty thirteen when that show was made. But they really had it very good. Now uh, they were very provincial about it at the same time, though, because they kept talking about the media elite as if uh, that's the end, I'll be, able to be all of the media. And I have found tons of people that have no connection to any cable news agency. That, I mean, they'd be on them sometimes, like Glenn Greenwald. They, MSNBC used to have him on. Uh, Tucker Carlson let him come on every now and again. But for the most part, he's been blackballed by all those spaces because he talks shit about every corporate position. Uh, Matt Taibbi, they used to let him on MSNBC. They don't let him on MSNBC anymore. Uh, barely let him on anywhere. They brought him in fucking front of Congress when they did the uh, um, uh, the Twitter file stuff. And that cunt that I was talking about, I can't remember her name. I, I, I'm not going to remember her name on purpose because she was the head of the committee. Um, and she's appointed. She's not actually an elected person. She's one of the members that's from the Virgin Islands. Um, she called him a... a uh, some uh, a so-called uh, journalist is how she started the, the conversation. What a fucking cunt. Like, in my estimation, uh, new media has created a whole new space where there are a lot of people that I listen to. They're not perfect, but they're going in the right direction. And I'm never going to find anything meaningful in cable me media ever again. So they, I think Newsroom got that wrong, but they definitely were seeing something about the change that was really important to see in 2012, 2013. It was important and and probably still is and you know i i don't want to go down this rabbit hole so the only thing i'll really say is you know again you guys 
you people do not have to believe the shit that Darren and I say. I would actually prefer that you didn't believe it or that you tried to verify it in some way, shape, or form. Go dig. But there's a lot of shit out there, and not to use what the fucked up Cheeto said, but a lot of this stuff that's out there is fake or it's unverified. And, you know, traditional journalism and those guys weren't perfect and they weren't right, but they, they had to do certain things to make it to press or to that night's episode or whatever, you know, you had to, get the story verified there were there were things that had to be done before you could tell people this is the news if you screwed up you would correct yourself there was a correction part in a newspaper back yes then. yes that is true that is gone now that is totally fucking dead yeah well i mean shit even if you go to the denver post or fuck the new york times for that matter it seems like most things are not articles anymore. Or if there is an article, the first thing that pops up is a fucking video where somebody is telling you what's in the article because our attention spans have gone down to such a low number that you can't read more than a paragraph. So they've got to put it on video. Or maybe they think people don't know how to read. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, Veep. V I wish I had to watch that show. That looks e funny. Veep. Yeah. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, fuck. There's a, a ton of people in it. That guy uh, from Arrested Development, Tony Hale. He's in it. Um, there's a bunch of people who have been in a ton of shit that I have no idea, you know, what their name is, but it is a great show. It is extremely funny. And the reason that I mentioned it on the indictment episode is because she came close a couple of times. Um, so basically she is the vice president and but she has goals and aspirations she wants to become president at some point or at least do something to make her mark um i think it's i don't know season two or three she decides she's gonna run for president after you know this next term um and Somewhere in the process, they pull this list of names so that they can get donors. And it turns out that the list of names, because the letter was like, you know, vote for me and we'll help with health care, blah, blah, blah. Well, the list of names was like, it was parents whose kids had died. I mean, that isn't the list that they pulled, but those were the names that were on the list. 
So that was the first breach. And then they pulled some other fucking list, and that was another breach. So they were supposed to go in front of Congress. Of course, there was this plausible deniability. So a couple of people on the staff ended up burning, but she ended up being okay. Uh, she finally became president because the president had to resign for family reasons, but that didn't last very long. <laughs> then she almost got indicted again because of some weird deal that she had going with the Chinese government. Um, so it, it was just good, but again, it, it showed the plausible deniability. It showed the fact that you know, she thought that her shit didn't stink and she was basically untouchable, which she was. Um, I just gotta ask but it two, was so funny. I just got to ask two questions. Did they have a cameo with Larry David or uh, Jerry ever? No. Okay, and then my second question is, did she ever dance on the show? <laughs> Arms akimbo. No, um, she didn't. But it seriously... If if you like to laugh and she's fucking funny, learn she's, a little bit about politics. It's a solid show. She's funny. I watched it at some point in time. I always liked her. I loved her on Seinfeld. I'm sure she's good on Veep. Yeah, she's such a fucking uh, scuzzy douchey. You know, like funny, shitty. I'm sure she'd make a great vice president in the fantasy worlds. So well, everything, everything they did just. Like, I had no idea. You know, a lot of the stuff on, on Seinfeld was based off of his stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Or Larry, Larry David's. David. Yeah. Um, or maybe even Michael Richards. I don't, I don't know, but... That's why I'm pretty sure that one that one stand up they didn't do any based on that one. No, they didn't. But a lot of it kind of started to, you know, recycle a little bit. You heard it before that kind of thing. Veep was constantly fresh and funny, and they they were doing many, new shit. How many seasons did they do? I think it was seven. Oh, really? Yeah. Shit, man. You know what? Maybe Michael Richards should, should should reach out to that D'Souza guy. He could probably find a job with D'Souza. <laughs> but they they were a half an hour apiece, so I mean, you can get through them fairly quick. I don't care about that. I don't watch. I, I never watch anything like straight through anymore. Anyway, so I like I like to eat it with a a Chianti and some fava beans. I mean, they they covered diplomacy and shit like. She goes to Finland for some European tour, and uh, the Finnish prime minister's husband ends up grabbing her tit. Oh, so she got finished. Yes. Um, just little shit. I mean... They called a lot of people hillbillies a, a lot of the time. They came up with just yeah, that's it, not, it's definitely worth, worth worth the watch. That's not the preferred nomenclature. Mm -mm. All right, which so, again is why they said HBO is for the coastal elite. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the HBO elegy right there. So, um, and then the, the, what's number two? The final one is is Boardwalk Empire, and I've not watched that. I've watched a couple of episodes the first season. 
So, I think it was two episodes ago I said Enoch Thompson Nucky. He's the the main character Buscemi. of the show. Yeah, Steve Buscemi's character. Um, he, uh, I said that he was a guy in real life, and and he is. But in real life, his last name was Johnson and not Thompson. Uh, the his mentor in the show was a guy named the Commodore. He was played by Dabney Coleman, and in the show he was always at his house and kind of elderly and and sick. That guy in real life had been indicted. Now in the show they didn't show this, but. Nucky actually finally got indicted for tax evasion and spent four years, I think, out of ten in prison. And then, you know, got out and supposedly retired and and just lived a quiet life afterward. But I think a lot of that was because booze was legal by then and... You know, a lot of his friends were gone because he worked with, you know, Al Capone and Lucky Luciano. And I mentioned Arnold Rothstein on the couple of episodes ago. Um, What's his name? Meyer Lansky, who was Rothstein's um, pupil. Uh, He was this Jewish guy. He was his dice man. No, it was Myers Land. <laughs> um, so a lot of these these gangsters that were in the show were real gangsters in, in real life. So there were probably multiple indictments that happened in real life that they didn't show on the show. A lot of the murders and stuff that were on the show may or may not have happened in, in real life. I don't know, but... If you like gangsters, you like uh, just a well well written show that has some historical significance that talks about the law and the bullshit that goes. So Joe Kennedy ended up being on the show. Um, and, and oh, they kind of illustrate the fact that that's how the Kennedy made... Myers Lansky ma- wasn't there for very long, though, right? I mean, I, th- I think about him in the context of Vegas in most instances. No, you're thinking of the wrong guy, dude. You're, you're thinking, thinking of, of the wrong guy. Myers Lansky is, is You're the thinking Vegas of guy. Benny Bugsy Siegel. No, I am not thinking of Benny Bugsy Well, Meyer Siegel. Lansky opened up casinos in Cuba. I don't know what casinos he, he was, had in Vegas. He was in, he was in the movie Casino because he was part of that. Well, I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I, I. I. Yes. No. Maybe. I'm. I'm. No. Not, I mean, I'm maybe not, in real life he yeah. did that, but I know for sure he opened up casinos in Cuba. I, I believe that that's true. I just didn't. I, when I think of him, I think of him. And Bugsy Siegel was the guy that opened up the casinos in Vegas, or at least initially. Now. Siegel and Lansky knew each other from New York, so maybe Lansky 
helped with the seed money or was a partner with Siegel. Um, I don't know how that worked. He was said to own points in casinos in Vegas, Cuba, the Bahamas, and London. I have a... I had mentioned to you that I talked to somebody earlier today, a friend of mine. Yeah. He, uh, when they would sit down and chat, they would, so there's the scene in the casino where they're talking about who they're going to kill. We're going to kill this guy because they're all involved in this thing that happened and some people got busted, some people didn't. And uh, they bring up this one guy. I kind of trailed off there for a minute because you said I was talking to this one guy, this friend of mine. There was, and then there's you a scene in the movie. There's a the scene movie. in the movie Casino, okay, right, where uh, some people get busted and they're trying to decide who they're going to bury in a shallow grave outside of Las Vegas and who they're going to let live. Yeah, and uh, they get to this one guy, and this guy's like, "Oh yeah, he's good. He's solid." And this guy, who was Myers Lansky's dice guy said, Why take a chance? My friend, before that movie came out, he told him that story. The guy that that guy's ah, playing in that movie okay. before gotcha. it happened. So, yeah, I, I don't really, that's all I know. I don't know nothing else. So, how f- it's a long time ago, it was a while ago. No, I understand that, but the movie the I didn't casino think he came was out that like, old. Casino came out and like he's he's a little bit older than you. But the second that he whatever, I'm not gonna talk about any of this stuff here. So. Okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> I was just thinking though that I mean Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we can have that conversation. Um when it's just our cell phones that's recording us. Yeah. <laughs> and the remote controls and uh, yeah. Yeah. Anything digital. Um. So there are obviously shitloads more indictment court type movies out there that we did not talk about. We tried to stick with powerful people and maybe kind of show the fact that they don't ever get in trouble. I don't know if that's what our goal was or not, but I think based on the movies that we talked about, it sh- sort of showed that. Well, and that our legal structures continue to become more and more tenuous. Like, it's just getting obnoxious right now. So, like, we might be in a post... Uh, for you and I, there's laws, but for a specific demographic of indiv- individuals... So like in Hunter, like they, they, this guy who's been doing the investigations into him for the last six years, now they gave him special, special counsel privileges. I don't know that I understand what that changes, but I have a sneaking suspicion that's going to allow them to uh, create a, uh, a plea agreement outside of the context of the court that will allow him to. Uh, not have to deal with anything in relation to Burisma or that Chinese financial company in perpetuity. The one that they tried to get in the first place and then the judge says that's not constitutional. Well, I don't think if they negotiate, I don't think they can do the perpetuity thing. I mean, I could be wrong, but the special counsel part would be similar to like the Clinton special counsel. I I, I want to be as clear as I can on this point. 
not in this case. That's when I'm talking about how it continues to get loosened and loosened and for a certain demographic of people. This guy's been not trying to per- prosecute him for the last six years. He's been the guy who's been doing all the this stuff. He is not going to... They're trying to find a way around it. And this is the way that they're... I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I understand what special counselors are supposed to be for. I mean, that all of these Trump situations, there's, there are just special counsels all over the place in regards to this one. But those are people that are actually going after Trump. This guy is not going after Hunter Biden. Well, all they're really for, I mean, special counsel, is just to make the American public think that they're doing something when actually they're, they're not. They're probably yeah. off doing shots and Giving playing each other quarters and, and like that. Yeah, buying hookers, or, sorry, sex workers. Um, <laughs> you, I can't believe you. You and your nomenclature, dude. <laughs> well, that is for the people that are sex workers, because that's what they want to be called now. So Apparently, the other one is derogatory. We're going in the direction of third parties-ish for the next stuff, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that, so, because these two are kind of attached to the last two, I'm going to call these last two summer semesters still, and then, so, the next ones we do are going to be fall. So, put on your seatbelts, kids, because this fucking short bus is rolling into fall semester. Woohoo! Get a coat, get some galoshes, because it's going to be cold outside. <laughs> it's going to be cold outside. Not necessarily right away, but it will be at we some point. And you don't, if fall. you're in Colorado, you don't need galoshes. But if you are in the Philippines, <laughs> it's going to be summer, I think, soon, actually, for you guys. So, uh, 720-334-ROLL. at yahoo.com. We will see you motherfuckers later. Roll, bitches. <laughs>